I'm taking a mental note, and you can pass this on to your husbands, ladies, of the husbands that aren't here this morning. I don't know who they are. So, but we're going to, I think we can keep this very short. I know we spent an extensive time last week in dealing with the new life, part um, one concerning wives. So, if you would, I just want to say to the husbands, just do better. Okay, let's pray. We'll go home. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, obviously there's much more to it than that. <laughs> but um, good morning to you. Glad to see each of you. And uh, we'll begin our reading this morning in Colossians chapter 3. And um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and read verse 18 and 19. We're going to be in 19 this morning. Verse 18 of Colossians 3. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, <clears throat> excuse me, love your wives and be not bitter against them. We're going to be looking this morning at verse 19 um, in this passage. And again, I want to uh, provide for you, after we pray in a moment, provide for you somewhat of a, of a reminder and review from last week uh, briefly to move into this. But there's many things to be mindful of concerning this portion of the scripture as it will continue as well, dealing with the different relationships that exist between humanity um, and, and the importance of the foundation that Paul's already set in this text and in this, in this epistle for us to understand uh, the context in which he states these truths. These are not just isolated texts, in other words, uh, about wives and husbands and children and parents and uh, slaves and, and masters and so on and so forth, but rather they are vitally connected to what's already been stated in the text. And so we're going to uh, again, look at that and see that importance and how that's connected as we continue in our study this morning. So let's bow uh, before the Lord in prayer together. Father, we do thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ and for your mercy, and we thank you for your long-suffering with us as your people. We recognize, Lord, that we are people who are in constant need of your grace and your love, and we thank you that it is an abundant grace and, and uh, eternal love that we have been provided in Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we open the Word of God this morning, we do pray that you would give us discerning hearts and minds by the working and presence of your Spirit dwelling within us, and that you would help us as well, Lord, to see the importance of the matter which is at hand in our text this morning, that we would understand the significance of what it is to live in the preeminence of Jesus Christ, to recognize and submit to He who is Lord in every aspect of our lives. And Lord, may that truth be evident and manifested and demonstrated throughout each of our lives as your people, as we would submit to you and you would use uh, your gifting in us to edify one another and to, as husbands, to shepherd our homes as you've commanded and as you've given us this tremendous responsibility. May we be faithful in doing so. Lord, help us and, and teach us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. As I explained last week, Paul sandwiches the remaining verses of this exhortation that we began last week uh, in verse 18 and following. He sandwiches this, the remaining portion of his exhortation here in chapter 3 between verses 17 and 23. And we see the significance of that is that Paul says in verse 17, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Then verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now, this is important, these two statements, whatsoever you do, 
Do it in the name and the power and the authority and the Spirit of Christ. And whatsoever ye do, do it hardly as unto the Lord, not unto men. And everything that Paul is dealing with in verses 18, 19, 20, um, 21, and 22 is dealing again with these relationships that exist between humanity. And Paul is reminding us, sandwiching between uh, uh, that, those truths, between these two statements, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do in the name of Christ, in the power and the authority, in the Spirit of Christ, and then also whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Do it unto the Lord, not unto men. And so all of this that Paul deals with concerning these relationships, he's reminding us, even in this setting, that we are to reflect and demonstrate uh, the reality and truth of the relationship that we have with Christ to those about us. And that's how it's going to be demonstrated uh, in all of these other relationships is as we submit to the preeminence of Christ and we are living unto the Lord, not unto others or not for others. And so all things are to be done in the name, again, of the Lord Jesus, which is not only the authority and power of Christ, which it is, but also is to say that we are to do all things in the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these verses are a reminder of the spirit in which all of our relationships are to be centered as those who have been risen with Christ. I told you last week, must understand, and I mentioned a moment ago, the importance to not disconnect this portion of the passage from the previous truths established by Paul in this chapter. So it is imperative that we are not isolating these verses or these passages from everything that Paul has already stated and from the teaching which has already been provided. So we are to be aware that we these verses are not standalone verses and it's not just a shifting in gears, if you will, or a whole new thought that Paul is bringing to light. But rather, he is stating these truths upon the foundation and already established. And I, I know I've made that very clear or stated that very clearly, but I want to remind you of this because it, it's very, we are tempted, we just are, to come to passages like this where all of a sudden Paul says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and, and, and be not bitter against them. And, we're, we're, and then children and parents and parents and children and bond and, and or those in uh, the slaves and the masters or the employees and employers and so on and so forth. So all of these relationships, we begin to focus on them rather than upon which they are established. And so the, uh, the teaching is established. And so it's important we not isolate them. I just want to, again, emphasize that truth. So we should consider Paul's statement in verse 1 of this chapter, as we saw last week, as we continue to read this portion of the text. So as we read verse 18, for instance, we should read it in this light to remind us of everything Paul has stated. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ... So if ye then be risen with Christ, then verse 18, wives, submit yourselves unto your, unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. So this is based on the reality that you are risen with Christ, you are living the new life, the new man, that you have put off the old man and his works and his deeds. Now you've put on the new man, having been redeemed and born again, and you are doing all things in the spirit of Christ. So that's what Paul is saying here. If ye then be risen with Christ, wives, then submit yourselves unto your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And as I previously mentioned to you last week, this passage in Colossians is a parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 5, in which Paul expounds upon the truth he briefly references in this third chapter of Colossians. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Let's go back there for a moment, because these are the same truths, and he does it 
for all intents and purposes, in the same order as he does in Ephesians, or as he does in Colossians, he does in Ephesians, and he, he expounds more so upon it in Ephesians than he does in Colossians. So I believe it's fitting for us to go back and look at Ephesians so we have a greater understanding of this truth he is teaching in Colossians. Ephesians 5, 22-24, Paul says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And the verb submit means to be to subject, and the statement is fit, as used in Colossians 3, is it means it's proper, as it is proper in the Lord. And so Paul is stating that wives are to subject themselves to their husbands in the proper manner as they are in, living in submission to the Lord. And I want to, again, emphasize this truth because these verses are often approached from a very perverted view. And, and we need to be cautious and careful to handle the text of Scripture properly and, and in the right context. And we need to be mindful that this is not a command, as many have implied it to be. This is not a command for husbands to control their wives, but it is a command for the wife to subject herself to the God-given leadership of her husband. God has an order, and we are to acknowledge that order, and we are to submit to that order. So this isn't telling husbands, get your wives under control. That is not what this is saying at all. It is saying, wives, you are responsible to humbly submit yourself unto the God-given order of the home and the God-given order of, of, of creation as it is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, the head of Christ is God. So God has an order that he provides. And it's important that wives recognize the of their place in reflecting the relationship between Christ and his church within the home. And so this is a very important thing. Paul explained in chapter 5, verse 23 for the, of Ephesians, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So there again, you have the order. And so again, just to emphasize this truth before we move forward, wives have a very important part in submitting themselves to the God in the home and doing so humbly unto the Lord, not unto men, but unto the Lord, that the relationship of Christ and the church is then reflected through their lives in that covenant marital relationship. So today we continue, we're continuing our study of this new life, living this new in marriage as it pertains to husbands. Men are to love and to lead their wives and homes as Christ loves and leads the church. Men can only demonstrate the love of Christ when they possess the heart of Christ, and men can only demonstrate the leadership of Christ when they possess the mind of Christ. In other words, no man alone possesses the ability to love or to lead his wife apart from Christ demonstrating such love and leadership through him. Just as the wife is to submit herself or subject herself unto her husband as it is proper or fit in the Lord, and as, as the church is to subject herself unto Christ, so it is that husbands are to love and lead their wives, but that is dependent upon the husband himself living in submission to the preeminence of Christ personally in his life, that then he might lead and instruct and guide and, and teach and, and uh, care for his wife in the manner in which Christ has done so for his church. And so this is not something that we can do in our own ability. It's not something that we can muster up the strength to do. It's important that we recognize this is, again is in relation to if ye then be risen with Christ, husbands, love your wives. 
and be not bitter against them. So if you're living in the new life, if you're living this resurrected life of Christ, if he is dwelling in you, then in submission to his person in us, his life in us, then we can demonstrate accordingly the, the same grace and love because it's his love and grace through us towards our wives in that relationship. Husbands, obviously, are given a tremendous responsibility within the covenant relationship of marriage. And as I mentioned within our study of this portion of the Scripture dealing with wives, both the wife and husband are equally responsible for their contribution within the marital relationship. Wives, again, you are responsible to submit yourself unto the Lord, to his preeminence, that you then submit yourself properly to the leadership within your home that has been given to your husband. And you are responsible and have an equal part in reflecting the marital covenant relation in the marital covenant relationship, you are to reflect the relationship of Christ and his church by you submitting to the preeminence of Christ that then you might lead and love in the same fashion in which Christ leads and loves his church. Now, I, I, honestly, this is a tremendous task to which we are called as husbands, as men, to shepherd and to lead our homes as Christ loved the church, as Christ cherished and nourishes the church so we are to act accordingly in our own homes and so we've seen previously in our study of ephesians some months or years back now over the past several decades within american society there has been a call for a dynamic shift regarding not only marriage but also the role of husbands and wives within that marital relationship within american culture of the past in years and decades past manhood as you are aware was a with this cowboy mentality. I mean, I remember growing up, for instance, um, as and such, you know, uh, action movie heroes were the thing. I mean, the, the bigger and stronger the guy was, you know, the hero in the movie, the more manly he was and such. Well, that's a thing of the past in our culture and society today. Rather than having this cowboy mentality of what it is to be a man, in more recent years, there's a term that's crept in, as you are aware, referred to as toxic masculinity. So it is bad to be masculine, you know, that men should not act in a masculine way, and that's toxic for it to be the case. And that's become prevalent in modern society. Toxic masculinity claims that it is harmful for men, for instance, one side of it, to suppress their feelings or emotions and that men should be open with their feelings and emotions in a similar manner and like manner as that of a woman. However, the reality is that while men do possess emotions, all of us have emotions and God's given us emotions, the emotional makeup of a man is much different than that of a woman. And that being said, there is no shame in a woman thinking and behaving as a woman, and there is no shame in a man thinking and behaving as a man. Yet the question then remains, since society is not the one responsible to define masculinity or to, to define manhood, not, since society is not responsible for that, though it's kind of been just shoved off on society to do so in culture, then the question remains, how is a man supposed to think and act in the role of a biblical husband? In other words, let me just give you the two sides again, as I referred to a moment ago. Is a man to just cowboy up and just call every, all the shots and say, this is how it's going to be in my home, this is how it's gonna, you know, you're going to do? Or is a man supposed to, as a husband, biblically, is he supposed to just give in to all the emotional will of his wife, and he's supposed to identify with her emotions, and he's supposed to try to act like she acts? I mean, so what is the answer? Obviously, society has, has royally messed this up. 
and so and, and misunderstood this. So what how is a man to act in a biblical role? In Colossians, Paul provides a twofold command to the husbands, and we're gonna look at Ephesians more so as well. But if ye then be risen with Christ, verse 19, if you are risen with Christ, if Christ is dwelling in you, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Simon Peter's epistle also speaks to the responsibility of the husband to not become bitter towards his wife. In 1 Peter 3, 7, that's the understanding of this. He says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, talking about their wives, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. So here Peter says, as husbands, you are to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Now, let me give some clarity here to this statement. And I can say this as a man that has now been married for over 30 years, that I will never understand women. I won't. I can't understand women because I'm not a woman, and I don't think like women, and I don't act like women, and I'm not a woman, okay? And men don't understand women fully. We can't. But at the same time, at the same time, neither do women understand men. After having been married for 30 plus years, I'm aware of that also. That women do not understand men <laughs> and that men do not understand women. We are different creatures. We are made differently. And thank God for that. It's not a bad thing. That is a good thing. But men are responsible as husbands in their home as the shepherding their wives. We bear the responsibility to dwell with them, to live with our wives according to knowledge. Now, part of that is I am to live with her, my wife, with understanding. Part of that understanding is that she's not like me and I'm not like her. Part of that understanding is that I will never understand her and she will never understand me. And yet I'm also to have the understanding that I am to recognize in my position. Now, notice this. This is interesting. Paul does not say, neither does Peter say, as husbands, recognize the responsibility you have to shepherd and control, rule over your wife, because this is God's order. No, what does he say? He says that we are to dwell in that we are to dwell with our wife, with our wives, men dwelling with their wives, with knowledge, or according to knowledge or understanding. And then he goes on to say, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. So rather than manipulating or taking control or taking advantage or misusing the responsible position God has given a man to shepherd his home, he's not to manipulate. He's not to control in a, in a domineering manner. He is to instruct, to teach, to correct, to lead, and to guide. And that includes rebuke, and that includes love, and that includes leadership. But he is to do so in a manner acknowledging that the wife was created as a weaker vessel than he is. And this isn't talking about weaker in physical strength, though that is true as well. It's not talking about a woman is not made like a man, and a man is not made like a woman. And a man is to bear the responsibility of shepherding his home, of teaching and guiding and leading. But notice how he's to do it with the acknowledgement that the wife is weaker. Let me say it to you like this. Aren't you thankful? Because we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We are to cherish and nourish our wives as Christ cherishes and nourishes the church. Are you not grateful then 
and ladies as well, but men specifically, are you not thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ, a Father, remembers that we are dust? He remembers that we are a frail frame. He remembers that we are a marred image created by him, but yet perverted by sin. He remembers that we are not him. He knows this. And so he deals with us in grace and in mercy and in understanding. Whereas he rightfully could just lay the hammer down, could he not? He could just lay the hammer down and say, this is what I require and you will do this or I'll wipe you out. And he could do that. But he's gracious and merciful and long-suffering and he recognizes and remembers who we are and what we are made from. He knows. He's the one who created us. And so husbands are to dwell with their wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel as, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. So he's not saying men are superior. Do you see that? He's not saying, oh, husband." Superior now acted role. He's saying you are heirs together equally in the grace of life. And he says, so that your prayers be not hindered. Now, as we did last week concerning wives, we also will again refer to our study in Ephesians to provide greater insight to Paul's exhortation he provides in Colossians. So let's look at Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 33. We'll work through this quickly, at least a portion of it. Verse 25, Paul begins, husband, love your wife. Husbands, love your wives. Now, he does the same thing in Colossians 3.19. And when standing alone, again, this seems to be a simple enough command. After all, why would a man join himself in a covenant relationship with a woman who he did not care for or did not want to provide care for? Nonetheless, when we understand that this is a command which is based on God's definition of love, as the following statement declares, then we begin to understand that the command is much greater than one may first believe it to be. So the question we must answer is this. Again, when we look at manhood, when we look at the definition of what a husband is supposed to be in a role of manhood, in shepherding his wife and leading his wife, how is a husband to demonstrate love to his wife? Look at verse 25 in Ephesians 5, Paul goes on to say, even husbands love your wives. Now in Chapter 5, or chapter 3, verse 19 of Colossians, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, we went to 1 Peter to see where Peter explains that further by saying that you're to, you're to shepherd your wife understanding, or according to knowledge or understanding, and that you are to do so honoring her as the weaker vessel. And see, if you understand this and you recognize this, then of course that's going to change how you will deal with your wife. In other words, let me say it to you like this. I cannot deal with my wife like I deal with other men. Well, let me back. I can, but I'd be a fool to do so. <laughs> so I don't deal with her like I deal with other men, and I shouldn't. I need to recognize her frame, recognize that she is a weaker vessel, which is not degrading by any means. We are heirs together of the grace of life. And, and the scripture says that the woman is the glory of the man. Remember that? Paul says that as well. And so we are to honor our wives, recognizing our position and role and the order God has provided for us to shepherd them as Christ has shepherded and shepherds his church. And this is, this is important, a very important, and a very, it's a tremendous command and responsibility to which we have been given as men. Now, just like the definition of a man is not left to society to determine, we see in verse 25 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul says, even as Christ, husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So also this love that Paul mentions, is not defined by society either. And that brings us to our next question. 
which is then what is love. So what is a man in terms of what does a biblical man and his responsibility of shepherding his home, how does that look? Well, he's to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He's to love his wife and not be bitter against her. He's to love his wife recognizing that she is the weaker vessel, dwell with her according to knowledge, and shepherd and guide her and cherish and nourish her as Christ does his church. So then the question is, well, what is love then? Because this is not left for society to determine or define either. And as we discover from the teaching of Scripture and the example of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, Love is much more than an emotion or feeling, as many claim it to be today. Love is commitment. Love is not something, let me just briefly say this, I don't want to digress much, but just for a moment, that love is not something you fall into and fall out of. Love is a commitment. Again, the greatest demonstration of love ever is what? Doing what? Yes. So the greatest demonstration of God's love and love in general, or period, is that he sent his son to die for mankind. Now notice, in that you find that it's not the death of his son. Is First of all, God is not a God of emotion, for the sake of the argument. It's not like God the Father was just so happy that his son is being unjustly treated and, and brutalized on the cross. And it's not that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying that has ever been, I've never felt such happiness in my whole existence on earth and in eternity to die on the cross and suffer pain and anguish. So this is not about a feeling or emotion, but rather the father was committed to his eternal purpose to redeem man and committed to the point that he sent his son the only answer for the sin of man. And the son was committed unto the father in love to him that he humbly laid himself down upon the cross even unto death. This is love and this is commitment. Commitment when feeling one may not feel like they want to be committed to this, but yet committed all the same. And so as we look at the scriptures, we see this commitment demonstrated. But then his epistle to the Corinthian church, Paul describes love for us, not only from God's perspective, but also from God's demonstration of such love as personified in Jesus Christ. Let's read through 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and then the beginning of verse 8. He said, charity suffereth long and is kind. And this is agape. That's the word for God's love that is used so often in Scripture. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Now, in the previous verses, Paul had already stated, that if a man have not charity, I believe three times he states in verses one through three, if a man have not charity, he does not say if a man does not demonstrate charity, he doesn't say if a man does not, uh, does not live out charity, he says if a man does not have charity. Have is possessive here. And so what Paul is saying is if a man does not possess agape, what is agape? God's love. How is God's love ultimately demonstrated and personified in the person of Christ? So again, if we wanted to be honest, we can read 1 Corinthians 13 as such. If a man have not Christ, then everything means nothing. And that's what Paul is saying. But then he gives an example of this love of God towards us and to us in Christ. God's love, he says, I'm going to break this down for you quickly. God's love suffereth long. What he's saying is that God's love is patient. Christ is patient. God's love is kind. The word kind implies something done for someone else out of kindness, meaning that which is undeserved. 
We receive Christ and receive of Christ that which we do not deserve. He is kind. God's love envieth not. This is a beautiful statement that I think often is not really understood because of the language that is used. But when he says God's love envieth not, it means that God's love holds no resentment. What a phenomenal truth that is. The love of God towards us in Christ holds no resentment. In other words, God has demonstrated and manifested his love to us in the person of his son, and he not for one moment ever resents or regrets doing so. What an amazing truth that is. God's love doth not behave it. I'm sorry, it's not, vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up, he said. God's love was not demonstrated in arrogance, but in the greatest humility. God did not say, here is my son, and, and bring him in, reigning on the thrones of the earth, and saying, everyone bow the knee to him. No, he came and humbled himself in the form of a servant, and the love of God was demonstrated and manifested in the most humble of possible ways, which is Christ humbling himself and dying upon the cross. God's love does not behave itself unseemly. God's love does not behave in a dishonorable manner but his love hath delivered the dishonorable from their shame. God's love seeketh not her own. Christ endured the cross selflessly. God's love is not easily provoked. God's love is not easily upset. God's love thinketh no evil. The verb thinketh in this verse means to consider or count or credit. God's love does not keep a tally of the evil which we have done. In Christ we are forgiven. And even in our even since our redemption, when we are guilty of sin, God is not keeping a log and tally of our sins. It has been taken care of in Christ. That does not give us liberty to sin by any means. But it is the only means by which we have any hope or confidence of eternity with him is that Christ has fully paid the ransom and the debt. God's love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. The Lord Jesus despised the shame, and yet he endured the cross nonetheless. The injustice of the actions of man against him brought him no joy. However, the truth of God's glory being revealed through this redemptive work brought great joy. God's love beareth, believeth, hopeth, and endureth all things. Through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, we realize that God's love put up with the annoyance and difficulty of the cross, demonstrated complete trust and confidence in its work, looked forward with confidence of that which is good and beneficial, and continued to faithfully bear up under the shame. And then last, God's love never faileth. God's love is eternal and will never cease. The description which Paul provides in 1 Corinthians 13 is not a description, again, of man's love. Here's the point. You hear this ver- these verses in chapter 13 read so often as though that is something t- we can achieve. This is something, oh, I can love like this. No, you can't of this kind of love this is a description of god's love which then can be manifested through you but you are not capable in yourself to love in this manner as believers in christ it is his love that is to be demonstrated through our lives and as husbands we are to love our 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 wives as christ loved the church first corinthians 13 shows you how christ loves the church that is a tall order for us is it not I am to love and care for my wife in this same manner. Now, again, that's not something I am capable of doing on my own. It's not something I am capable of doing by myself. This is something that God must do in me, but the only way that's accomplished is as a believer in Jesus Christ, as one who is risen with Christ, as one who is acknowledging the preeminence and lordship of Christ, I now am submitting myself to his lordship 
and he is loving and living through and in me. So the only way a man can love his wife as Christ loves his church is that he possess the love of God in Christ and Christ's love being tra- is transmitted through him. We must also recognize that God's love as personified in Jesus Christ as explained in Paul's letter to the Corinthians is a, and, and Ephesians is a sacrificial love. He says in verse 25, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, Ephesians 5, 25. The sacrificial act of God in giving his son and the sacrificial act of Christ giving his life is the greatest demonstration of all love, of love at all in all of time and eternity. And the real sacrifice here is interesting, is not that husbands are to die for their wives physically in order to show an, an effort, a love for them as Jesus loves his church. You know, Christ died, and a greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And if necessary, men should be willing to sacrifice themselves physically, husbands for their wives, and preserving and protecting them. That's something all men as husbands should be more than willing to do. But that's not the call here. The call is not, okay, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. In other words, you need to go die for your wife to prove that you love her. That's not what's being said here in a physical sense. Rather, husbands are to die to themselves in submission to the Lord Jesus that his life and love be manifested to their wives through them. In other words, we are to live selflessly. Again, and as shepherds, we are to shepherd our wives in our homes. We are to tend to them. We are to care for them. We are to lead them. We are to instruct them. We are to teach them. We are to correct them. We are to do all of these things, but we are to do so in a sacrificial manner. In other words, this isn't about us getting our wives to do or act or behave in a manner that we want them to. This is about us leading in the truth of God's instruction in his word. So we have to die to our own desires and our own selves as Christ gave himself for the church. Verses 29 and 30, or through 30 of Ephesians 5, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Shepherding consists of both love and leadership. It's not one or the other. Concerning love, verse 25, he said, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And we've seen that love defined for us and described in the book of 1 Corinthians. But then concerning leadership in verse 29, Paul goes on to say Ephesians 5, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. The verb nourisheth means provides and sustains. Cherisheth means to possess concern and care for or to care for. So it's important that we recognize as husbands that God's command for the husband is to both love and lead his wife, and it is to be done as Christ loved the church, and even as the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church. Manhood and biblical husband responsibility is not determined by how one outwardly presents himself, but how one truly shepherds his own home. Verses 31 through 33 in Ephesians 5, Paul goes on to say, For this call shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. That's interesting because it says, For this call shall a man leave his father and mother. Well, the woman leaves her father and mother as well. That's not saying just the man does this, but the, the, I believe part of the importance here is us to understand that 
in the position and order God has given the husband as shepherding his home, he is now moving out from under the authority of his father and mother, and he is taking the role and responsibility of being the shepherd within his own home. Within these verses, Paul emphasizes that this mystery of the unity within the marital covenant relationship is remarkable. However, Paul explains that this entire discourse was never about a man and woman, but was really about Christ and his church. So again, I go back to Colossians, in which, if ye then be risen with Christ, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as is fit in the Lord. If ye then be risen with Christ, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Live with them in understanding and live with them in forgiveness and live with them as you would cherish them and honor them and nourish them as a weaker vessel in which you are jointly part of the inheritance of the grace of life in Christ. This is all about Christ and his church, and it's about us understanding our responsibility to live accordingly. Now, at the same time, men, we are called to shepherd, which is, again, to say to love, provide, care for, and lead our wives as Christ shepherds his church. And women are to submit, respect, and follow the leadership of their husbands, who is their as our Lord submitted to the Father, who is his head, which is the perfect example Paul provides in 1 Corinthians. So the new life being lived in marriage as wives and husbands is not about including Jesus in your marriage, but it's all about recognizing that your marriage is intended to reflect the relationship which Christ has with his church. And once again, this mystery is bigger than you. It's bigger than your spouse. It's bigger than your marriage. One of the truths of this mystery is that God has allowed, and the beautiful truths of this mystery, is that God has allowed us to reflect the beauty of the relationship which exists between Christ and his church. Wives, we saw last week, subject yourself, submit yourself unto the God-given order and leadership in the home in submission, as you submit to the preeminence of Christ, then you will follow the truth and word of Christ in submitting to your husbands as he would lead and shepherd you. But husbands, you are to shepherd as Christ shepherds his church. You are to shepherd your wife. You are to love her. You are to understanding. You are to care for her. You are to nourish her. You are to spiritually direct, instruct, and teach her. I was asked a question this past week by someone concerning Paul's emphasis in Corinthians about women not speaking in the church but asking their husbands at home, talking about those who are married, of course. It doesn't speak of those who are widowed or those who are single, but of a, a married woman that she is to speak in Corinthians. Paul mentions, or Paul teaches that she is not to speak in the church, but she is to learn at home, asking her husband. And the emphasis of Paul's statement there is that God has an order and that the, the woman, as the wife, is to submit herself to the leadership in her home that her husband might teach her. But here's the other side of that. Men must be faithful and committed to shepherd their wives for their wives to be able to do that and it to mean anything or be effective. And so while a woman who is not married or single or widowed is able, or for that matter, even divorced, is able to ask and learn. The woman who is married, Paul is saying that you are to submit to the leadership in your home and let your husbands teach you as is ordained 
God. And one of the and sad things about this statement today, and I said this last week, even in dealing with the wives concerning husbands, is that we live in a day in which husbands are not shepherding their wives and homes. They are not teaching. They're not instructing. Here's what they do. Oh, well, go, some go to church. Go to church, I say that loosely. Some go to church or show up to church, and it's like, let the pastor do that. No. Some show up to church or, or even farm their kids to the church. Let, let the church teach our kids. Or how about this, a quote-unquote Christian school. Let this Christian school teach our children. No, men are to shepherd their homes, and this is to be taken seriously. The greatest responsibility you have as a husband is for you to teach, instruct, ground, root your wife in the truth. And then allow her, and you as well, to teach and ground your children in that same truth. But men are to take the responsibility of shepherding seriously because it is a very serious responsibility. So husbands... He is to be leading the home and responsible to do such. And teaching his wife, instructing his wife and, his ch- and their children, and allowing her and providing her the means necessary to teach in her home her own children in a biblical manner. Husbands are responsible to do this, and wives are responsible to submit to that leadership that God has provided. And again, this isn't about you and your marriage. It's not about having a better marriage. Do not isolate these verses. That's why I emphasize that so much. Do not isolate wives submitting and husbands loving. Do not isolate these two verses as though Paul is starting some whole new school of thought and he's saying, okay, now let's deal with the home. He's saying, no, if you're risen with Christ, then this is your responsibility. Live in the new man, which cannot be disassociated from your marital covenant relationship. This is what the new life looks like. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to open the word of God this morning.